Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. I feel like we were just here. I feel like we were just doing this not all that long ago. Oh, no, that was the post-game show. Thanks for sticking with us. This is White Sox Weekly. I am Connor McKnight, and the White Sox have won six in a row. We've got a, a special, because of the early uh, ball game this afternoon, the twelve ten start out in Detroit, we've got ourselves a, a little unconventional White Sox Weekly scheduling. We're here until 6, about 6.30 this afternoon, and plenty to do for you. I'm just about to tweet out the lineup for White Sox Weekly this afternoon. You can follow us on Twitter, at C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. You want to leave all your stuff for the mailbag throughout the week, that is the Twitter handle on which you leave your comments, and then we bring them up here on the show. That's how it works. It's pretty easy. Uh, The phone number has changed in the last 10 minutes. We have... uh, a line change over to the other studios. So 312-591-8900 is the phone number. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Would love to hear from you because my question to you, the White Sox fan, is this. What do you think? I mean, right now it's a first-place ball club. Right now, sure, there are some warts on this team. There are warts on just about every single baseball team, regardless of what you did last season. Take a look across in a couple of different places, and you could find them. Uh, but wh- I'd, I'd love to know what you think about this ball club right now, because not only is it clicking over the last six, obviously winning the last six games, but there are a couple of weird little things that all factor into how I'm starting to feel about this baseball team and what it is to watch them. First is this. Before they won and rattled off these last six, they'd gone 23 innings without scoring a run. It's the same offense. It's just obviously a little bit different production. Guys have kind of zoned in some. You've seen Jose Abreu knock balls out of the ballpark today, which is a great sign. Daryl Van Scowen had a really interesting tweet just a couple of, uh, about an hour and a half ago about Jose Abreu's last couple of games. Of course, Daryl covers, uh, covers the White Sox and does it well for the Sun-Times. We'll bring it up in just a little bit here on the show. I, I want to know what you think, though. The phone number's out there, 312-591-8900. That is our phone number throughout the afternoon. we got a couple of things to do, however, in the next two hours. We're going to talk to Catherine Garcia. She is, and I'm very happy to announce it, we teased it on White Sox Weekly last week. She's our, our fun new addition to our White Sox coverage here on WLSAM.com. She'll be uh, out at the ballpark covering the White Sox and writing for you, the White Sox fan. Her articles will be up at WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Her first is up there now. She took an in-depth look at Avi Garcia, the start he's had. We'll talk to her on the other side of the 430 News. I am psyched to have her commentary. Uh, She's written for very, very smart baseball places, places like BP Southside, from whom we stole her, quite frankly, and so I guess a, a certain thanks goes out to the folks at BP Southside. They do a great job, and, and so do Southside Sox and Future Sox, uh, just three of them off the top, three really great. I feel like I say this a lot, but Sox fans are, Sox fans are lucky in, in that they have a lot of places, other than a pretty great beat that covers this team, there are a lot of places you can go for analysis on your ball club, a lot of really invested, smart, and... Caring in a in a baseball way, not caring in a really sensitive, kind of over-the-top sort of thing, but very quality places to go find out stuff about your White Sox. Catherine Garcia 
is going to join White Sox Weekly in just a couple of minutes and uh, is joining the WLSAM.com coverage, which we're really happy about. Nick Hostetler will also be our guest. He is the White Sox Director of Scouting. We'll talk with him a little bit later on in the show. We'll space things out some. Had a chance to sit down with him on Monday at the ballpark. Draft's coming up. Jim Tomei, you may have heard of him. Jim Tomei, he's going to join us. He's got a new gig. We'll talk to him about it. Uh, and Tommy Canley is uh, is a conversation we had last week, but I kind of wanted to bring it back because all he's been doing since then is striking people out. And he's a good dude. So if anything, maybe it'll help him strike out a couple more hitters. All right, let's head out to the phone lines. In Carol's, oh, and we'll also bring you uh, Ricky Renneria's postgame comments. Since we ran out of time in the postgame show, we will bring them to you in White Sox Weekly this afternoon. A lot of phone calls to get to. Let's lead off with Jerry in Carol stream. Jerry, what's up, my man? Not much. Hey, I was wondering how come Renteria didn't walk a via in the ninth. First base was open, and the guys after after him were terrible. They both hit in the house. Well, I would guess it had something to do with Alex Avila's, you know, like 200 batting average over the last two seasons. I mean, you saw Avila when he was here with the White Sox. He's not a guy who makes a whole ton of contact. He's more likely to walk than get a hit. He had the shift deployed. He hit it into right center field on a on a deep, you know, it was a ground ball that just kind of beat Saladino in the in the shift. I don't think it was a bad decision there. His last, his last two pitch hits, or last two times to play, Pitch hitting, he hit both times, and he's batting three twenty. That would it would mean he's it would mean he's due for an out. I mean, if you if you play the percentages there, I I don't think that's a terrible. He's still Alex Avila. Jerry, thanks for the phone call, man. I I mean he's he's still Alex Avila. Also, I I hate I'm done with intentional walks. I mean, I there are there are this is a personal thing for me, I guess, but I I'm not a huge intentional walk guy. I think I've kind of reworked some of the math and number on that. I, I think I'm kind of reworking my feelings on it, too. I, I'm going to take a pass on the intentional pass as often as I possibly can. We got time for one more before we get to hit a No, we got we to take a break. Okay. Uh, Mike in Plainfield, you'll be first up when we come back. We got to hit the break and go to news. We'll talk to Kat Garcia as well. 312 591 8900, the phone number. You get a whole afternoon or evening, whatever this is, the twilight hours. We're talking White Sox baseball with you on WLS AMA 90. Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the San Diego Padres on Saturday, May 13th at 6.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a Hawk Harrelson alarm clock presented by Total Lubricants. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. I have seen the alarm clock. I have witnessed the thing myself. It is fantastic. You, uh... You have to get one. You absolutely have to get one. All right, we're out to the phone lines once again. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. A, uh, a special guest joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Not her first time out on the show, but it is her first time as a, uh, as a nominal co-worker here at WLS. We are very happy to welcome in Catherine Garcia to our coverage on the White Sox. Hi, Kat. How you doing? Hey, Connor. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, glad you could join us and glad to have you uh, writing for the website. Your first piece is up about Avi Garcia and the uh, the hot streak he's been on. Appreciate you doing that and uh, looking forward to seeing you at the ballpark. Thanks. Yeah, I'll be around this summer with you guys. So I figured what better way to do this than to uh, to start it off with taking calls from White Sox fans. So, uh, Catherine, we will take our first, you and I together, take our first phone call from Mike in Plainfield. Mike, what's on your mind? 
Hey, Connor, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Hey, uh, you were asking for opinions on how Sox fans are feeling, and uh, mine's kind of a two-parter. Uh, obviously, excited that they're playing well. Always nice to see your players, your team doing well. Glad to see he's, you know, doing well. Hopefully, he can keep it up. Pitching staff's doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only concern is, uh, hopefully, uh, the man in office stick to the game plan. If if we do, if we are fortunate enough to keep playing well. And middle of summer comes along, and we're still in first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I just want them to stick to the game plan. And if they, you know, we're obviously beating up the rest of our division, which probably means that it's kind of weak. And you know, we, we be in first place come trade deadline. And if guys like Frazier and and Cabrera, and if we still have Quintana and Robertson, and we're getting offers for those guys, mm-hmm. and we're in first place by two games. What do you think they do? Sure. Mike, appreciate the phone call. Really appreciate the phone call. Because I, I kind of thought that's where we'd start this afternoon. And, and Catherine, I, I figured we'd take it from a White Sox fan. I, what do you say I let you kind of run with that a little bit? Do you think that given the shift in the way the team has played, do you think that there's a corresponding shift in the front office? I mean, it is exciting to get off to a hot start. As we saw last year, the goal was to contend, and the White Sox did get off to kind of the same exciting start. Uh, But I think this year the goal really is to work and focus on that rebuild. Obviously, the White Sox started that by getting rid of Chris Sale and Adam Eaton. I don't think that this start that they're on, even if it should last through the All-Star break, is going to change their mind about the value that they could receive from Robertson if he continues to perform the way he has or from Quintana or anyone else that's on the market right now. I guess, you know, when you look at some of the players, because there are two, in my mind, there are kind of two buckets of, of ball player on the White Sox roster right now. There are kind of the, the big time longer term assets, like you mentioned, like with Quintana and guys who are either close to the end or at the end of their deals in Melky Cabrera and Todd Frazier and in David Robertson do you think that do you think that maybe the way they're playing affects those two tiers differently at all? I think if we see production that's valuable out of Frazier or Melky, there could be a team that you know has an injury or has a hole that they need to fill that might be interested in trading for one of those guys. However, considering it would be a rental that's going to be a really, really rare possibility. Obviously, we've seen rentals work out in the case of, you know, Aroldis Chapman or guys mm-hmm. like that, but that's a completely different situation. It's not as if Cabrera or Frazier really, I think, would net the kind of value that it would be worth it to trade them midseason. And, and yet, you know, you look at the, the rest of the White Sox bullpen, let's take Robertson out of the equation just for a moment, and, and whether it's Tommy Canely, whether it's Anthony Swarzak, whether it, I mean, my goodness, you look at some of the production from those guys, and I, I find it pretty interesting to knowing what relievers have kind of brought back on the market. Granted, you know, two of them that I'm thinking about, Andrew Miller and, and Aroldis Chapman, were at an elite level, the kind of which that you know, obviously not many are. There have been teams willing to give up pieces for those types of guys. Uh, obviously, Swarzak isn't going to have a zero ERA the entire season, and no one's going to keep up a 19 per 9 K rate that Tommy Canely has, but have they found reclamation projects that they can recoup value from? I think with Canely, obviously we've seen a drastic change in his control. He's only walked one batter so far this year. 
whereas last season he was walking six per nine. Um, we've definitely seen some pinpoint control on him. I'm not sure that he's the type of guy that the Sox are going to want to trade. They might want to keep him mm. because he is a reclamation project. But someone like Nate Jones could bring value for them in a trade. Would it Would it only be – I mean – can you see a team in the hypothetical moving for a reliever that has that doesn't have the established background that Robertson or Jones does, whether they're on the White Sox or whether this reliever exists somewhere else? Do you think teams dip into that idea? I think they have to be really confident that they would be able to kind of make a reclamation project out of said pitcher. We know that the White Sox would possibly be able to do that we've seen them take risks on guys who maybe aren't necessarily as refined or you know guys like Giolito who people have been worried about but the pitching staff for the White Sox is really really great and we've seen them obviously with Chainley as an example turn guys around so I mean it would take a really really strong confident pitching staff to kind of take on a guy like that. What do you think, we're talking with Catherine Garcia, who writes and covers the White Sox here at WLSAM, and her latest piece is up on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. It's about Avi Garcia. I talked with Todd Steverson, I think it was like two weeks ago or something like that, Cat, and I, I just, I was wondering out loud to Todd Steverson, the White Sox hitting coach, about how hard it is to make a living being a power hitter going the opposite way with regularity. Avi is that kind of guy. He has absolutely found success. A triple today went to the opposite field and drove in a run for the White Sox. What do you think you found and seen and perhaps learned that may or may not be different with Avi to start this season? I think, you know, Steverson's right. It is really hard to be a power hitter when you're only using a portion of the field. You obviously need to kind of use the entire field to your advantage, which is something that has obviously always hindered Avi. Right now, we're seeing him pull the ball more. However, I don't think it's going to be anything consistent, and it's not going to be enough of an improvement for him to tap into the power that he has. He needs to be a lot better at pitch recognition, at not chasing balls. There are other situations at, that here that he needs to work on. It's not necessarily just that he's not always hitting to the full side, and now suddenly he is. Yeah, and you know, I I get it, and I and I see where the results, you know, where where pulling a ball here and there would get better for him. I just, you know, in watching it, I've seen him take pitches that in other situations he's swinging at. It it almost is like you know, if we go back to the the game against Masahiro Tanaka, where he's got everybody swinging at that sinker that you know isn't going to be a strike, but that's very easy to see on television. And sitting in the batter's box watching it come in at ninety two is a is a very different story. You know, that that looked like old Avi, and yet the rest of Avi has this 430 on-base percentage and a, and a batting average that's, sure, fueled by a high Babbitt, but at the same time, I, I think we have seen a better plate approach, no? Oh, definitely. I think that across the board we can say that about this entire White Sox lineup. Sure. I've noticed a lot of discipline at the plate, and Avi is not an exception there. I'm definitely on board with the improvements he's made at the plate. However, he's coming from such a hole that he's digs and dug himself that I just don't think that we're going to see him reach the potential that people maybe three or four years ago thought that he would with this team. Sure, sure. What about Lurie Garcia? Obviously, he's been a big uh, – well, he's, he's contributed and, and pitched in for a couple of different rallies so far over this six-game winning streak. He's hitting something north of 400. He's put a little bit more pop into the baseball and – the the routes out in center field can be a little curious at times. We saw one of those this afternoon, though it seemed a lot of guys were having trouble with fly balls in Detroit today. 
What have you seen from Lurie that's that's either promising and, and that you still need to see a little proof in? Lurie's been a really great guy off the bench. I wouldn't necessarily want him slotted into the lineup every day as a starter, but he could be a really great little piece to have there stashed away for, you know, when you need a pinch hitter or when you need someone filling in in center field or shortstop. Um, I think that he, if he's not pressured to be something that he can't be, he can definitely benefit any staff that he's on, really. Kat, really appreciate it. Thanks for chiming in, and we will uh, look forward to reading your next one on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Catherine Garcia. She covers the White Sox on the website, WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Hey, we got time. We can squeeze in another phone call here, right, Jonathan, before we have to? Yeah, we absolutely can. Head out to the north side. It is Ron. What's up, Ron? Hey, Connor. Got what? a question. Yeah, go ahead. Fire away. That's what we're here for. Why is uh, Renteria not moving Avi Garcia up in the lineup? And also, she's wrong. Gar- Lurie Garcia should play center and get rid of, you know, send Jack- Jacob May down and uh, just go with that. So those are my two questions in that comment. Okay, thanks, Ron. I don't think she said anything about Lurie Garcia not being, I don't know what she's wrong about with Lurie. I mean, she said he's a good player and maybe not an everyday center fielder, but on this team where your options at center field are pretty much, I mean, listen, if 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 the White Sox were comfortable in putting anybody else in center field, they would have given them a shot. I mean, Jacob May had his opportunities, has had his opportunities, came through with his first hit. It had been a long long go for him and that that's it's a tough road Lurie Garcia has shown some pop but let's not pretend that you know he's got a a a track record of being you know a a top prospect or anything like that this guy's found some success four or five six years into his into his career and yeah they're gonna run him out there and and see what he's got I I don't think I, I mean Lurie to me isn't a guy that defensively on a team that's that's going to go win a division is to me a guy that might need some help defensively. I'm, I'm talking about you know every now and again looking at a different outfield matchup or moving to a corner. I don't I don't know. And DJ's talked about this a lot. Lurie Garcia's eventual learning curve at center field. You know he's seen the ability there at times, but not as consistently as you might like to see, especially in center field. So to that end, uh, that's the comment on Lurie. As for Avi, Ricky Renneria talked exactly about that. I want to say it was like two days ago. And for the second time in this show, Daryl Van Scowen of the Sun-Times is going to have his name dropped. But Daryl asked, have you been tempted to move Avi up in the lineup? In fact, I don't know, I'm going to do a little on-site producing. Jonathan, I think we have that cut from two days ago in the pregame show, if you're able to look around for it and cruise for it. But it was Ricky Renneria responding to exactly that question, why hasn't Avi Garcia been moved up in the lineup? And, the, you know, he, he detailed a couple of, I don't want to say hesitations to it, but reasons as to why. First and foremost is this. Things are going fine with where he's at. Just fine. I would say this too. Jose Abreu has looked, I think, probably a lot better than you think he's looked. Not necessarily Ron, but perhaps like, you know, the general observing crowd or whatever. Here's Jose's numbers over the last couple of days. Scrolling through it here. Oh, see, now I've lost it. Shoot. Two home runs today. The on-base percentage has been up. Hold on. Let me find it here for one second. 
Abreu's been moving pretty well. And I think in order to keep kind of the confidence for everybody and the comfortability for everybody, and because of the fact that they're, you know, winning ball games, I think Ricky's just fine keeping things where they're at in the lineup. I think oftentimes lineups themselves are a little bit overwrought in their importance. I think we have a tendency to, and because it's something that's so easily, you know, in our heads switched around, like, oh, I'd bet him here and I'd bet this guy there. Really, when you, when you play out the numbers, the only thing the lineup really necessarily changes over the course of a whole season is how many times a guy comes up to the plate. I've got Jose Abreu's numbers for you over the last seven games. This is not including today where he went two for three with two dingers and two walks. He's got a 458 batting average. He's got a 519 on base percentage. He's got a 625 slugging percentage. I think at least one of the reasons that Ricky Renneria can be pretty comfortable in keeping Avi Garcia where he's at is that he's seeing better at-bats out of Jose Abreu. And maybe that middle of the lineup, once it starts clicking a little bit, because I think you've seen Todd Frazier hit a couple of balls hard as well, I think maybe you're going to be all right. Maybe that lineup looks a little bit longer than we thought it would when you came into the season. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You're more than welcome to join the show. 312-591-8900. We'll step aside for a quick break. And on the other side of that, we'll take a listen to Ricky Renneria's postgame comments after the sixth straight win for the White Sox. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. We've taken a couple of phone calls so far. We've got a little more room for those on the other side of the 5 o'clock news. We're going to bring you the postgame comments from the White Sox manager, Ricky Renteria. We're going to have a chat with Nick Hosteller, the White Sox director of scouting, and have a chat with Jim Tomei. I don't know if he needs a title. He probably he has a lot of them. I mean, you could probably put a lot of titles on Jim Tomei. One of the best home run hitters to ever play. Big-time slugger, future Hall of Famer, the whole deal. I mean, you could you could do all that. It's a big Jim. You just call him Big Jim. You do that if you wanted to. White Sox Charities invites fans to celebrate over 25 years of giving with 25 for 25. Donate $25 or more on May 10th and 11th with the chance to win White Sox prizes, including autographed items and experiences. For more information and to participate, visit whitesox.com slash Sox 25. That's whitesox.com slash Sox 25. A couple of cool events coming up for the White Sox uh, that we'll keep you posted on throughout the show. So you want to stay tuned and uh, and find out exactly when and how and whom you want to bring to the ballpark. Perhaps a, a favorite four-legged friend of yours. Dog days coming up. We'll tell you all the details about that when we get back from the 5 o'clock news as well. I believe we'll step aside for that break. Uh, you still have the phone number, 312-591-8900. Ricky Renneria coming up right after the 5 o'clock news on White Sox Weekly, WLS, AMA 90. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox were winners this afternoon. They beat the Tigers 6-4. to four. We've got a special post-game edition of White Sox Weekly. Your phone calls are more than welcome. 312-591-8900. 312-591-8900. You can also hit us on Twitter. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. At C1 McKnight. we got plenty to do on the rest of the show. We're still... Uh, we're only about a half hour through things. 
So plenty to do. We've already talked with Catherine Garcia, who you can follow at the Baseball Girl on Twitter. She is our brand new writer here on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. That's the link that you can pick up to find all of her stuff. Or or you can just or you can just head over to uh, to Twitter at C one McKnight. And you can, you know, just check out all the links and, and whatnot from there. Cat uh, is a former writer for Baseball Prospectus. We have acquired her services. Very happy about that. I was going to say steal and or traded for, but none of those would really be accurate. We, you know, we were just, we outbid is what we did. We just, when you, when you find premium talent, you have to pay for it. You've seen free agency work before. 312-591-8900. Uh, and we've also got to get to, we've got this ready to go, fellas, right? Ricky Renneria's comments in the post game. Perfect. After this White Sox win, it's been six in a row for the Sox, and we did not because of a, a lengthy ball game and a highlight reel that just kept on going and going, which was a load of fun to do. Don't get me wrong, but it was a long highlight reel. We didn't get a chance to play Ricky Renneria's comments after this winner, six in a row, two series wins in a row, and a chance for a second straight sweep tomorrow afternoon. 12-10 is our start. Here he is, the manager of the White Sox, Ricky Renneria. Was eventful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure was. Uh, I thought uh, uh, Dutch... Holland threw a really, really nice game for us. You know, and again, kind of the same thing. You know, the relief came in, got us out of that one particular inning. Um, Chanley, nice job. Robbie, nice job to come back after, you know, that ninth and, and uh, was able to settle down. We got him a couple runs, settled down. I thought our guy showed a lot of heart coming back after that. You know, you might get deflated. They didn't. I thought they went in there and, and you know, Gabby leading off with, you know, with the homer and, as we continue to put the next run on the board with uh, Abby's ball in the right center field and then Robbie going back out there and, and doing the job that he went in there initially to do. What gave you confidence to go back to him in the 10th? He, was, he hadn't thrown very many pitches, and that's, that's his job. I mean, for me, we go ahead. That's what he does. You know, he closes games. Abreu's two home runs. Yeah. Missed yesterday. What were you seeing from him? Good swings, obviously. Yeah, I mean, he put in some good swings. I think... Uh, you know, we were just still protecting him from a little bit of a of a, of a strain that he had in his uh, hip area. And so uh, he said he was ready to go. You know, we'll see how he is tomorrow. Uh, you know, you get back out there. You got to make sure everything's okay. But uh, he was just very calm. I thought he took advantage of some pitches that he was able to get to, um, put some good swings, and uh, was able to hit. Some, fortunately for us, was able to hit the ball bumper. Okay, uh that was his first home run of season two. Was it? And, and okay. It, you know, key time. Oh, big, big, big time. I think, um, you know, he went in there, got a pitch out over the plate, uh, was able to drive it, uh, fortunately for us. And, uh, you know, again, uh, the rest is kind of history. The guys went out and closed it out and did a nice job. Nate, uh, they pitched with three of the last four. Were you yeah. Trying to, you were trying to stay away from I was trying to Yes, absolutely. Yeah. On that video uh, replay uh, of Anderson, I mean, you had a, a long conversation with the umpires after the what, what were you talking about? What was what were they telling you? It's just uh, the the replay protocol, so to speak. I mean, it's something that's going to have to be cleared up, and so I think I'll just I'll just leave it at that. You know, it's it's a it's a work in progress. Six straight wins, big division games too. Let's talk about the way your team is playing in these last six games. 
Um, I think they're just playing the game. You know, they're not they're not thinking about in division out of division. They're just playing baseball, and I think uh, we just happen to be playing uh, within our division for the most part. And they're doing a nice job, just having fun. And uh, you know, fortunately for us, like I said, uh, you know, all the little pieces are kind of doing what they need to do. And um, fortunately, we'll keep you know trying to get after it. Brady is a big process over his all type of guy, but how happy are you to kind of see him start to get rewarded for the work he puts in? Oh, I mean, obviously, I'm happy. The whole team's happy. He's happy. Uh, you're right. He is a process-oriented guy. Uh, I think today he was very happy with the results, as were we. And, um, you know, hopefully it's just something to kind of kickstart him and continue to move forward. Abasel Garcia, it's early in the year, but what makes you think that – you know, his production can last. Um, I know he's had some good swings, had the triple there in extra innings. What have you seen from him to make you believe he can really continue this pace? Uh, I Listen, I just take it one day at a time, and I'm sure he does. He's just looking to try to have solid approaches on a daily basis, at bat to at bat, pitch to pitch. Um, you know, there, there are going to be bumps in the road at some point, I'm sure, and it happens to everybody, but uh, I think he's found a, a decent foundation to kind of manage and, and work him through uh, uh, this season. Did he tweak something early in the game there? Who's that? Obviously, I don't Not that I'm aware of. It did kind of sound like Avi, in talking with reporters after the game, was, I don't know, a little tender, I guess, in the groin region was uh was stretching things out pretty good it was a cold day in detroit this happened about the fourth inning avi uh took some time going into the tunnel and took his stuff and clearly wanted a little treatment hawk and stoney talked about it on the television broadcast a bit tough to see exactly what he was dealing with but avi was doing some stretching out there stayed in the whole ball game didn't affect him hit a triple or at least uh didn't affect him in the 10th he had a triple to the opposite field was only one for five today with the one strikeout, but a big triple helps keep the batting average up just a touch. A couple of points here and there helps everybody. Jose Abreu's had a real good run. I think we mentioned it before. Two for three today with two home runs, both solo shots, two walks as well for Jose. You know, you heard Ricky mention, too, the, the replay review kind of thing that was going on with Tim Anderson. It was... To be honest, and we'll get to the phone calls, so Fred on the south side, one second here, and we'll, we'll hop to you. But to be honest, watching the replay as, as many times as I could, and let me know if you saw something different, it's very difficult for me to find in that particular instance whether the ball hit Tim's hand, whether it didn't hit his hand. He's wearing white gloves, which, by the way, they're awesome. Tim's got a whole great look going on up there. But, you know, white glove, white ball, kind of tough to see exactly, you know, whether it hit, whether it didn't. But I think the issue was that they called it a foul tip, which if I could find anything on the replay, anything anything definitive on the replay, it's that the ball never hit the bat. So in order to make that call, at least as I understand it and why I would imagine that Ricky was so upset, you heard him kind of defer it a little bit, but if if you pull the bat back on a bunt attempt, if you're in the act of pulling it back, it almost by definition can't be a swing. Therefore... If it hits any, if it if it hits the bat, then it then it does have to. But I, I was very confused. What I'm saying is the hand can't be ruled a part of the bat if you're pulling the bat back. If it does, you know, because you're not swinging, and the hand is only a part of the bat if you're actually, in fact, making an effort to swing. If you're not swinging and you're pulling the bat back, and it does hit the bat, then it's still a foul tip. But the hand as far as I understand it, would no longer then be a part of the bat. And I think that's something that was 
I'm, I'm guessing here, but I'm as, as Ricky kind of took a pass on the question, but and I don't blame him for it. He, he'll get fined. I won't. Or maybe I will. Who knows? I, I can't blame him for taking a pass on that, but that's that's what I saw. That's where I'm a little confused on that ruling. And I think I think things do need to be. Jason Benetti talks about it a lot. Of course, voice of the White Sox on television when they're at home. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. I wouldn't mind at all seeing an Ed Hockley-like explanation from umpires after replay reviews. Maybe not so quite quite so verbose. Maybe it doesn't have to be that long. But, but man, just hearing something, just being told exactly what, what umpires were looking at would help out quite a bit, especially when you're at home on the couch. You know, because those cameras, the broadcast cameras can't catch everything. And if you're looking at it going, what, the, what, what, what are they ruling on? At least hearing what it was, then you can go back with your DVR and look for what they were. It would make me feel a little bit better watching a baseball game. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. We head out to the south side where it is Fred. What's up, Fred? Hey, Ricardo, uh, how are you doing today, sir? I'm uh, doing fantastic. You? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Listen, uh, nice show, better than the one last year. Uh, my thing is, uh, since we gave ourselves away, uh, maybe on the summer we keep playing the way we are, and I, I think we will, uh, why not bring Moncada? I mean, there is a, also a, a new arm available on the market. We should get it and go for it. And go for it, huh? Fred, you like the idea of hitting, and appreciate that. Thank you for, for saying that the, the show this year is better than, I, I feel like I have oh, improved yeah, over I, the offseason. I really like it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think I've improved over the offseason. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I wonder then, so so you're cool with hitting the gas pedal and just and just keeping it on and having this White Sox team add? Yeah. Uh, I say by July 4 or by the All-Star I mean, if they can get a, a new pitcher out on the market, we should go for it. Okay. And if we can bring Moncada. Uh, he's still playing that good. So let me uh, ask you this. So, Fred, I, I find this very interesting, and I wonder this. If let's, – let's take Moncada out of the equation. So maybe they call him up. Maybe he's playing great, whatever. Maybe you add him to the roster. That's fine. Would okay. you be all right with the White Sox – pressing the gas pedal so hard so as to say trade one of their other top prospects like a Giolito, a Lopez or whatever and get a major league arm to win this season? Uh, yep. If, if we're playing the way we are, we should go for it. Interesting. All right, Fred, appreciate the call, phone call, man. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey, Jerry's not getting older. He's 81. He had to go for it. Got you. Fred, appreciate it, man. Interesting. I, I got to say, what, what's the date? We, I don't have a calendar for the 29th. We're looking at the 20. Oh, it's up there on the clock. Thanks, Jonathan. It's right. It's literally right in front of me. It's in big green neon letters. I'm an idiot. The 29th. It is April 29th. And I, I find it really interesting. And I love it, you know, when, when we get Sox fans who are of differing opinions because I think, and check me if I'm wrong, give a call, 312 591 8900. But it seems as though most fans, at least those that I've talked to and those that have called the show and, and tweeted us at C1 McKnight, still want to see and still are comfortable with the continued direction that Rick Hahn stated when we started this whole season that the Sox are in, for lack of a better term, a rebuild mode, young talent acquisition mode, that kind of idea. Fred is the first guy I've heard say, to hell with it. If they're playing well... Go get you some more players. 
I find it interesting for a number of reasons because obviously having restocked the farm system the way that they have with the trades of sale and eaten, you you have some pieces there, a lot of pieces, with which you could theoretically do things. I don't know. Is I, I, I wonder if Fred's the only one or if there are others on Fred's uh, on the Fred bandwagon. 312-591-8900. we got to take a break because on the other side, we're going to squeeze in if we can, although I feel like at some point here, uh, probably after the 530 news, we're going to hear from Nick Hostetler, the director of scouting for the White Sox. The draft is not all that far away, closing in on five weeks until the amateur draft for 2017. White Sox pick 11. We'll pick the brain of one Nick Hostetler coming up a little bit later on in the show. Otherwise, we've got some phone calls and a news and notes section, and a mailbag section, and the minor league update. Boy, we got a lot to do. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So easy enough to go through some of the highlights of the minor leagues. I think probably your headline news in the White Sox farm system right now is that Dane Dunning has been moved up from low A to high A Winston-Salem. Dunning is the kid from Florida. They drafted just last, or they acquired rather. They wanted to draft him, but they acquired him from the Nationals in the Adam Eaton trade. He has been nothing short of fantastic, striking out just about everybody he's stared down. The Winston-Salem Dash also have, and this is fairly interesting, Zach Collins, the top catching prospect in the organization. They've got him right there at double air at, uh, at high A. So Dunning, one of the better pitchers, one of the better pitchers going rather, performance-wise, and the White Sox system is there with Winston-Salem now and teaming up with the top catcher in their system. Uh, Winston-Salem is going on right now. they got a game against, uh, let's see, it's they're, they're in the second and scoreless still. The Charlotte Knights are working against Columbus. That's a 6-3 ball game. Charlotte leads that one. Yoan Mankata, a cool three for four. No big deal. Uh, he has scored twice. David Holmberg pitching. Matthew Park is pitching as well, uh, or has pitched as well. Down in Kannapolis, they have a 3-2 lead heading into the bottom of the eighth. A couple of guys have been cooking for them, too. Mitch Roman, another one for four. His 355 average still leads that league. Uh, we've seen a number of ball players, whether it's Luis Alexander Basabe, who was at uh, high A, Winston Sam, not the low A Kannapolis, put together a couple of hits. And while Zach Collins, we mentioned Zach Collins a couple of times in the minor league roundup, and why not? He's uh, one of the top prospects in the system. I, actually, we talked, uh, Nick Hostetler and I, the director of scouting, who you'll hear from just after the 5.30 news, he and I talked a bit about Collins after we had our chat. We, we kept it mostly about the upcoming draft and not so much about the guys uh, that were drafted last season, but Collins very much a, a favorite of Nick Hostetler. And while the batting average hadn't been all that great for Collins down at high A Winston-Salem. He's still drawing his walks, still holding a command of the strike zone, and his defensive ability, his chops behind the plate have improved regardless of who you talk to, whether it's broadcasters for other teams that have seen him a little bit last year and this year, whether it's uh, opposing coaches or scouts or whatever, they have been really impressed by the improvements he's made behind the plate, not just in throwing out runners where he has thrown out 10 of 14, I believe it is, but also with just receiving pitches, with being quieter behind the plate, with being more in control of receiving the arsenals and the repertoires from pitchers that he's working with. And now, like we said, he's going to get Dane Dunning, who's just been called up to high A. He's going to get Dane Dunning to work with, whose two-seamer has been absolutely nasty and gotten him a bunch of strikeouts. 
And we'll see. That'll be a big test for Dunning because at the low A level, if you're throwing a fastball with a little bit of movement, four strikes, I'm talking about called strikes, a lot of batters at that level haven't seen something like that before. You go up to high A, maybe a little bit different, and we'll see if the same kind of work, the same kind of process is going to get Dane Dunning the results that he's had in low A ball. It'll be a big test for him, a good one, a necessary one. And we'll see if he's going to be the the fast riser through the White Sox system. That I mean, every year you get somebody that's that's going to pop through a level or two, maybe faster than you thought. Perhaps Dane Dunning is that guy this season. Want to let you know, Sox fans, that you can join us as the Sox take on the Minnesota Twins Thursday, May 11th at 7.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will receive a free specialty T-shirt presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home to Bedford Park and win big. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesocks.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. 5.30 News is next. Nick Hotsteller, Director of Scouting for the White Sox, joins us after that. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 90. The MLB.com at Bat app is your number one mobile app for live White Sox baseball. Stay connected with a fully customizable experience. Get White Sox home screen icons and app features as well as game day, live game video highlights, radio broadcast, stat cast, news, and more. Download MLB.com at bat today. I was looking at a friend's phone, scrolling through a couple of things when we were at the ball game the other day. Then they had on their on their front page, there was a little, a little White Sox icon. And I thought, well, well what cool, what, what app is that? And that's, that's the new home screen icon that you can get. You can customize in the MLB.com at bat app. You can customize it to your favorite team, the White Sox, obviously. And then put your it gets the logo right there on your on your screen. It's awesome. You gotta get it. It's fantastic. It's the only way to uh, to digest mobily your White Sox baseball. Had a chance on Monday, so this is this, almost a week ago now. But we had a chance. Nick Hostetler is a busy guy all over the place with the MLB draft coming up early June. But I wanted to get a month out his take on where the draft is at. And I know a lot of White Sox fans, kind of baseball fans in general, are kind of just tangentially interested in the major league draft and i don't fault you for that at all it, it, up until i started doing this for a living i okay that's interesting here's a name or two and we'll see you in four or five years that's just kind of how the mlb draft works the white Sox, though with the direction that they've chosen coming into this off season have obviously um a real big eye on the young talent and building out the farm system to make a sustainable source of success uh, an internal sustainable source of success so we had a chance to sit down with nick hostetler chat a little bit there's a little music going on in the background we're at the ballpark it's a live thing here it is uh me and and, and nick hostetler so we get a chance to sit down with white Sox scouting director nick hostetler here on white Sox weekly nick appreciate it good to see you your scout tan has come in really well this season it's it's, it's a beautiful thing i'm sure you've been all over the place nice to see you at the ballpark though. yeah it's good to be here it's nice to get in here at least uh, one day prior to the draft and just kind of kind of get our minds together a couple of our guys came in and got uh you know got our schedules together and all that and yeah i keep working on that tan and uh make sure i don't burn make sure i use the right suntan lotion so where are things at as as we're what, about six weeks from the draft or so i guess when this airs it'll be a, a five week kind of thing what was the meeting about what are the are you talking specific players or are we dealing with a big board right now yeah and as in regards to our first pick we're we're talking 
we're talking uh, specific players. We've narrowed the list down probably uh, probably right now about 15 players. Uh, there's been a couple fall off in the last week or so, and um, you know, but we're, we're moving towards trying to make sure we get the proper looks, the right amount of looks on the right guys. Um, kind of gives me an opportunity to make sure that my guys are telling me who I need to stay on, who I need to see, who I need to see more of, um, and that goes down all the way through the draft, not just the first round. But uh, it, it, it was good to have this meet, little meeting with a couple of the guys and make sure that uh, we're all on the same page, uh, hit this home stretch. So, what are your next couple of weeks like? This is all double check-in. This is yeah. those fifteen guys making sure that they're who you think they are yeah yeah it, it's it's more of going back second third fourth looks um, I'll start doing a lot of meetings uh, meeting the players meeting the families uh, sitting down asking them uh, some of the hard questions answer, getting some of my questions answered from a makeup side of it to try to make sure that these guys have the uh, not only the talent on the field but also are able to handle themselves off the field um, to be successful big leaguers what do the first 50 draft picks look like where is the talent balanced and what do you think is there for for you, you know, around the left. Yeah, this year's um, this year's interesting because I think it's more. Um, it's really spread out. There's a little bit of everything this year, um, and even in regards to our pick, um, you know, we're in. We're pretty much right now in consideration for us is one from each demographic. Uh, we've got a high school pitcher in the mix. We've got uh, a couple high school bats, a couple college pitchers, and a couple college bats. So, And that's kind of the way the top 50 to 100 picks are playing out. Yeah. It's pretty a, a solid balance this year. Um, I think that it's more of a uh, balanced draft as, instead of uh, impact superstar draft. Uh, there's not really uh, that impact superstar out there, but there's a lot of really good players that are going to become really good big leaguers. Sounds like there are, and, and maybe they won't be there at 11, but I'm, I'm sure you've seen the guys. I wonder if you can comment on just the idea of having a couple of two-way players, yeah. guys who I believe it's Hunter Green and then Brennan McKay. Yep. These guys are both, for, for fans who, who haven't uh, followed up on the whole draft thing, one's a high schooler, Hunter Green, a, a high schooler, who's both a pitcher and a hitter. Yeah. And McKay's more of an advanced guy, but a pitcher and a hitter. How, do, how would you go about evaluating a guy who does both like that? When do you make the decision as an organization, in theory, hypothetically, about a player like that to specialize? Yeah, and evaluating him, it takes a little bit more time. Sure. Just because you're seeing him multiple times. Um those guys are such good athletes that they'll also hit while they'll pitch. So you'll be able to see the swing and see all of that. But then you want to go back and see him play defensively. Uh, it's been really good for both of them. Uh, a lot of them, they play back-to-back -back days. So we're being able to just kind of hang two days and we can we can knock it out that way. Um, in regards to the choice and, and the route that we go, they'll tell us. And, and we're not opposed. Um, should it be one of those guys? Uh, there's a couple other guys in the draft that are two-way guys. Um, to let them do both when they go out. Um, let them let them throw a little. Let them pitch every, you know, fourth, fifth day. But at the same time, uh, uh, give them an opportunity to, to swing the bat and keep that as kind of a, an option for them as well. But um, if they're good athletes and they've been doing it since they've been a little leaguer, why not let them do it until they show that they reach a level that they can't do both? Is this a newish kind of thing? Because whether it's those two guys or Shohei Otani playing in Japan, you know, we've got some of this going on. Have we had this before and just not noticed as much? Or is this just kind of a, a re-upping of things we've seen? Yeah, you know, I, I think that one of the things that I like it is, is showing their athletic ability. Yeah. Um, and I think we've lost a lot of that with sports specialization. Um, you know, I think a lot of kids playing single sports are losing athletic ability on the baseball field, and, and it's taking away a lot of those two-way guys. Well, uh, these guys, whether it's um, Hunter Green or Brendan McKay or an Adam Hazley at Virginia, guys like that, they, 
these guys are so athletic that they're able to do both, and and it's exciting for me. Um, you know, I'm not so sure we're going to continue to see this. I hope we do. I, I, I love it. I, I pitched. I, I hit. And, and to me, I, I think it's tremendous. It, it just it involves you in the game so much. You're, 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 I mean, he's such an integral part, each one of those guys, to their team's success that, you know, they're able to do both. And, and I, I wish we would see more of it. I doubt we are, especially with arm injuries and pitch yeah, limits and things yeah. like that. But, um, you know, I really wish we saw more of this because it is exciting to watch them compete. I know White Sox fans, with with a path that Vicon has kind of set you guys on and, and with what we kind of expect to see over the next few months here at the Major League level, White Sox fans are going to want to know from that draft pick at 11 what the horizon is for that kind of player. I know that's a tough ask, but but how can you best describe that to people who... You know, because there are two types, in my mind, baseball fans. There, You know, the, the guys who are out here every day watching the Major League roster, and then the draft is, we'll see him in five years and yeah. see what's up. Yeah. You know, for us, in, in the path that Rick and Kenny and, and Jerry had chosen um, here with this rebuild and, and trying to put us on a long, sustainable win path, for me personally, it's been great because it really involves what we're trying to do yeah. um, at the amateur level. This is, this is, you know, this hits us right between the eyes. They have the confidence in us as a staff to give these, give the organization the players to do this. So while we may not see uh, the instant impact from the draft, we may not see the, the right-away um, guy gets drafted on June 12th, puts our hat on, and then you know, you're not going to see him for four or five years. It's yeah. hard to maintain that, but at the same time, understanding that um, the vision that we have for the player, the, the plan that's in place that Chris Getz and Buddy Bell are putting in place for the player um, is something that we're looking four or five years in, into the future, meshing into this next group that's coming up from the minor leagues. And, and that matters. We look into all of it. We look into um, whether a guy's going to fit in this next core with the Yon Mancatas and the Zach Collinses and the Zach Birdies and the Lucas Giolitos. And we want guys that mix in that. But we also have to have other guys that are following them up. So as those guys get to the big leagues, they're in our minor league system, and they're rising through to be the next wave of guys to come here. Well, if you're splitting hairs on a pick, maybe not necessarily on draft day, but if you're splitting hairs, does that horizon, where, how much does that factor in for a player? It, it doesn't factor in much just due to the fact that it's always going to be best talent available, sure. regardless okay. of position or time frame to get there or whatever it may be. Um, but it's another small piece to the puzzle, um, and, and it's one of the things that you know we'll add in. It'll be in their profile. We'll see their ETA and what our scouts are, are anticipating that to be. And from that point, uh, you know, we'll look at it, identify it. But at no point would we take a player just because he fit in this group, as opposed to taking a uh, more talented player that might fit two or three years later. How much are you involved with international scouting? Let's say you know there were videos out there of a guy. Maybe his name is <laughs> I don't know Ruiz Lobear. He's nineteen. He's Cuban. I don't, whatever, whoever yeah. it happens yeah. to be, it's not specific. Don't nail me down on specifics, yeah. Nick. Yeah. No, no. Um, how much do you get involved with that? When, you know, if you haven't yet, when would you be involved in something like that? I, I find it, I know a lot of White Sox fans are interesting, oh, interested. Yeah. I wonder where you fit in. Yeah, I, I, I've read some stuff on Twitter. I've had a few fans ask me directly. Um, about some some players that I've, I I really can't remember their names. Yeah, it's it's tough to. It is. So it's hard. All the names coming there. through my head. But um, you no, know, I you know at this point in time with the uh, with the draft approaching, I'm I'm 100 focused on the draft. Sure. Um, anytime internationally, uh, I'll get involved after the draft. Uh, Marco Patty and I talk all the time, um, kind of discuss, and I'll maybe look at some videos and whatnot. Uh, certain players and certain decisions uh, become uh, far over my pay grade. Uh, and, and 
I'm not sure if that player, the random name you're talking about, is one of those guys. But uh, right now, I'm 100% focused on the on the amateur domestic draft. When when do you get a chance to check with your draft picks of the past? The Alex calls, the Zach Collins, who just continues to walk his ass off. Yeah. Double. I mean, like, because you, you got a chance to say what's up to Jacob May, who yeah. just got his first hit a couple of days. I imagine that has to be a really cool feeling for you. Do you? As busy as you are now, do you get a chance at some point to check in on those guys, whether it's in person or not? Yeah, I, well, every single night following box scores, regardless yeah. of where I am, and I hinge on every single at bat. And I've really got to learn to stop doing that because it's driving me nuts. You sound like a parent. I did. I the, and, and you know what? They kind of are. Kinda. I've got like every year I get like 30 new kids. Um, they're not costing me as much as my three that are at home right now, <laughs> but um, I, I do. And, and you know, and, I, and, and they, I feel like. They are my kids. You know, I live and die on every at bat, every pitch Zach Birdie's throwing, or Alec Hansen, or uh, Ian Hamilton, uh, every at bat Mitch Roman, or uh, Alex Carr, whoever it may be, has. I'm hinging on every at bat and every pitch. Um, I'll I'll go around and see them in person after the draft. Okay. Um, then it'll give me a good time to to get to spend some time. I, I it's one of the for me it's one of the most exciting fulfilling things that I get to do is to go around to our minor leagues after the draft and and see the kids that we draft and see the kids we put in the system and um, just to just to sit down and talk with them see how their adjustments going and um, I keep in touch with a lot of them through text message and um, I usually like to stay away uh, the, if they text me I'll sure. text back but a lot of times I like to stay away. Let them just kind of get their get their feet wet. Uh, they're Chris and and uh, Buddy's problem at this point. I don't want to I don't want to cause any more problems on top of that. <laughs> Nick, appreciate you sitting down. Always good chatting. Anytime, Connor. Look forward to it. That is the director of amateur scouting, Nick Hostetler, for your Chicago White Sox. And Sox fans, you can celebrate your Italian roots with Italian Heritage Night, presented by Beggars Pizza, when the Sox take on the San Diego Padres Friday, May twelfth. Italian Heritage Night will feature specially priced tickets and a post-game fireworks show. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Italy. Uh, he and I, Nick and I, were kind of chatting around the subject of Luis Robert, who is a top Cuban player and cleared to sign as early as May 20th. That date coming up just around the corner. I'll throw a couple of details your way, and, and here's what I here's what I know, and here's what I can tell you about the player. 19-year-old, corner-type guy, probably one of the better Cuban players to come out uh, to come to, to leave the island in that Cespedes, Moncada, Puig type situation. I think I mentioned he's 19, good speed, a lot of power, hasn't played a lot of baseball, has really not played much at all in the last year or so. So evaluating that kind of talent is going to be um, difficult for clubs that are interested in him. And it does seem that the White Sox have a decent amount of interest in him. There were reports from Scott Merkin of MLB.com that some White Sox brass high up were going to go see Luis Robert in a workout. The White Sox themselves didn't comment on that. And Nick Hostetler, the director of amateur scouting, and wasn't you know wasn't throwing you for a loop or anything when he says he wouldn't be involved in those kind of discussions. Way too early for him to even you know be called into an office and and ask, hey, what do you think of this player? You know, you were scouting this guy in at TCU. What would he look like? That kind of thing. But Robert uh, falls into a very interesting category because the CBA has changed how teams and how much teams are able to pay international free agents, or at least it will very soon. But because Luis Robert was cleared by the offices of Major League Baseball and the government of the United States um, and set to sign prior to, I believe it's June 15th, but after May 20th, 
He's in the old system, right? The system that got Yohan Mankata $32 million plus the $32 million tax that the Red Sox had to pay to Major League Baseball. He's in that bucket, the unlimited amount of money bucket. Later on, afterward, when the new CBA fully kicks in, teams are limited to a pool of money that they can pay their international free agents like this. So that changes quite a bit of how you're able and who is able to go after a guy like Luis Robert. Some teams are prohibited because of overspending in the international market in years prior. Some teams are forbidden from even signing a player worth over $300,000. This is a little complicated, but some teams can't even go after Luis Robert unless he wants to sign for $300,000 or less, which, if I'm Luis Robert, I have very little interest in. There's a lot more money out there for me. And maybe that's what it comes down to. Who knows? But the White Sox have had a good run in picking up some players of, of Cuban heritage, and we'll see if that stays with uh, with Luis Robert. Should find out in... I don't know, five, six weeks, something like that. 312-591-8900. Other side of a quick break, we'll talk with Jim Tomey. He's got a new gig. You're going to get to see him a lot more often. We'll tell you how. That's next. WLS AMA 90. There's one governor, one governor who's been a pain in the butt for Trump. Governor Kasich tells us why at 810, Monday morning on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. You can join us for the first dog day of the season on Tuesday, May 9th, as your White Sox host the Minnesota Twins. Fans interested in bringing their favorite pup or other pups, but mostly your favorite pup to the game, can email dogday at shysox.com. That's dogday at shysox.com. For an application, or you can visit whitesocks.com slash bark. That's whitesocks.com slash bark. Space is still available, but going fast. Hanging out with Jim Tomey for a little bit. Jim, congratulations, man. Hanging on out the MLB Network. It's going to be a blast, I assume. Hanging out with a bunch of old friends talking baseball. Couldn't really be better. You know what it is. I'm excited. You know, I watched, first of all, I watched the show. My wife calls me crazy, but I... You know, to catch up on baseball, especially with my job here, I, I watch it a lot. It gives you, I mean, it's form informative. It gives you, you know, all detailed, you know, outlook on what's happened in the game. And to be to be around a group of guys that, A, were, some were teammates. Uh, you know, I competed against a lot of them there. And, uh, you know, all... All those guys have an op, you know. All those guys are just really, really smart, good analysts that I think have great input and give back to the game for sure. How did it come about for you? Where did you find out, and how did you find out that you could do this? Wanted to do this? Well, I went. I went for about two, three days in February just to go, and they invited me to come in and just you know we went through MLB tonight. We went through MLB now. Did all the all the things and then not really thinking what would come up come of it i uh you know had an i got a call and said hey would you like to come aboard you know and be a part of this and and be around it and you know it kind of worked out i've got to be honest you know obviously my first concern was my job with the white Sox. how would that coincide how would that all mix together but but i've got to say you know the white Sox have been great very supportive uh and vice versa. So the scheduling, look, it's not a full-time gig, but it's an opportunity to give me a chance to sit around, as you said, a bunch of, you know, really smart baseball guys, fun guys that love to have fun, you know, inform, you know, the baseball world on what's going on. And to be a part of that is really cool. 
What do you see the role of, you know, the former veteran, the guy who's been in the league for a while, that analyst-type role that's also been so much a part of the game? How, how do you guys influence the way the fan takes in games? What do you see your job as being once you get on camera like well, that? Well, I, I think to share your experiences, you know, to share your things that happened in your career and, you know, and, and some of the drills maybe that I did that made me successful, you know, and, and to also, you know, always remember how tough the game is. You know, the game is tough. It's yeah. not... It's not a uh, it's not an easy game. It's a roller coaster ride. You, baseball, you know, will give you the highs of highs and the lows of lows. And I think maybe if I can, you know, help or reflect on things that happened in my career, and maybe give and share some of those thoughts, you know, that's really what it's all about. And also, you know, learning from a Charlie Manuel, giving some advice that he gave me, or or. You know, Greg Walker or Mike Gellinger or, you know, all the great hitting instructors I've had throughout my career and maybe some of the drills we used to do. And you know what? If that translates into a college coach or, a, you know, a youth baseball coach saying, you know what, I'd like to try this for my kids. And if it helps them, that's what it's about at yeah. the end of the day. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a pretty unique, fun opportunity to dabble with, see where it leads, and 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 just have a little fun with it. You know, opportunities don't come along all the time, and you know, it's not a, as I said, it's not a full time gig, but it mm-hmm. gives me a chance to sit around and talk baseball, which I love to do. I, I, I've always thought that MLB Network does a really cool job of bringing in the numbers part of the game and yes. the scouting aspect, the former player yes. aspect, just like front offices have been doing for the last little bit. Yes, you've been a part of organizations that were both old school and pretty progressive yes. when you played. I wonder how how you plan on taking both views once you get on set, and and what kind of you know, melding those those views, yes. the numbers and the scouting have meant to you over the last couple of years working with the Sox. Yeah, and I, I think the cool part of that is the new analytical part of the game. You know, I'm still learning, I have to be honest, because I was in the old school era. Sure. You know, and, you know, like, like you talk on base percentage. You talk about, you know, like how important runs scored are and, and you know, and slugging percentage. You know, back in the day, you know, we w- the data wasn't there as much. Let's mm-hmm. face it; it wasn't. It was talked about, but you know, our biggest thing was look, just be dangerous. Try to be dangerous, and you'll you'll walk. You'll 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 score runs by walking. So mm-hmm. all of those analytical things that that I think are broken down, and I have to say, it'll be fun to learn all that new stuff as well. Uh, Along with maybe me giving a little bit of the old, maybe advice of, you know, of what what was taught and what was kind of from the old school instructors back in the day on what made those players great as well, which I think will be awesome. I've kind of found in talking with Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson on our broadcast that oftentimes we're talking about the same stuff. It's just two different languages and, and you just kind of find that middle ground. I wonder if you found the same thing, whether it's talking with players or yeah. with scouts or front office people. Yeah, I do. I do. And and the cool part is it might translate and come out of the mouth different, but there are strengths to both sides. Absolutely. You know, and I, I have to tell you, like, I, I love to hear the analytical department talk about breaking down 
why are we shifting this guy or sure. why why is this being done and then i'm sure on the reverse end you know of talking to a player that played 20 some years you, you know, i'm sure that intrigues them as well to know you know hey why did a guy miss a ground ball in a day game well the sun was shining in the seat and that guy couldn't see it yeah you know so there's there's many aspects on what you can bring we all have strengths we all have weaknesses and you know i think what makes both of those shine is a team just like when you play major league baseball you've got strengths and weaknesses but we all find those strengths and try to try to help the weaknesses become better and and that's the cool part Jim, appreciate you hanging out. Congratulations. It'll be great to watch you. It'll be fun. Thanks so much. That's Jim Tomei, who, in addition to working with the White Sox front office, will be on MLB Network for you to enjoy. On the other side of the news, we'll talk with White Sox reliever Tommy Canely. This is White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. We are closing things up. Here on WLS AM 890, I'm Connor McKnight. We're going to bring you a conversation that you may have heard last week with uh, Tommy Canely. The reason I wanted to bring it back is because Fangraphs caught a whiff of what uh, Tommy Canely was up to and threw an article up there with the headline. <laughs> this was funny. And I thought, oh, that's cool. They listened to White Sox Weekly. Maybe they checked it out. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Jeff Sullivan, who does great work on Fangraphs and is one of the smarter baseball writers on the planet, said this. Uh, or at least his headline writer said this. The White Sox have had one of the best pitchers on the planet. And the whole article is about Tommy Canely and just how good he's been to start this season. The article was written when uh, last week when Canely had faced 27 hitters and struck out 15 of them. He has gone to strike out more, including three this afternoon in one inning of work since he... Since he did that, since that uh, 28th, he's, he's got another three strikeouts. He has struck out um, just a ridiculous 19 in nine innings. It's, it's a 19 <laughs> 19K per nine rate. He's only walked one hitter. His stuff has been ridiculous. And if you follow on Twitter, at C1McKnight, uh, I retweeted a couple of the beat writers who have uh, James Fegan of, uh, one or, of one or two of them who had talked to a couple of pitchers about the stuff that Canely's had. He's cutting a 98-mile-an-hour fastball halfway across the strike zone. That's the kind of work that Tommy Canely has been up to. So I figured probably worth taking another listen to the conversation because in it we talked a lot about the changes, the mechanical changes he's made to start this season from last season. Canely has always had a big-time arm. Don Cooper talks about it all the time. His famous quote is, that's not a minor league arm. But the command had been rough, walking about six per nine. That's gone down quite a bit. One per nine is, is obviously a huge reduction in walks. And I, I thought Canley's kind of a goofy guy, first and foremost, kind of a fun guy to talk to. So the conversation gets a little goofy. But it talks quite a bit about some of the mechanical adjustments that he's made and some of the fixes that he's made. He wasn't even, remember, he wasn't supposed to be here to start the season. Jake Petrushka had made the team, as everyone expected, came up with a lat injury. And before the Charlotte Knights began their season, of course, in Charlotte, Tommy Canley was called up. Didn't even play a game down in AAA. Eventually, or evidently rather, all the fixes and fix-ins that he'd gone through turned out pretty good. And he's been a lights-out reliever for Ricky Renneria 
amongst many lights out, whether it's Anthony Swarzak, Nate Jones after he knocked off a little rust, David Robertson up until today when he just ran into a, a day where seemingly he just didn't have his control uh, and, and needed to figure a couple of things out with some other pitches. This bullpen has been absolutely fantastic. So we'll get to Tommy in just a second. Do want to tell you, though, that you can join the White Sox on Tuesday, May 9th for Nurse Appreciation Night presented by St. Xavier University. All Illinois nurses and their families and their friends can enjoy a specially priced ticket package. The package includes a game ticket and special White Sox scrub top for the first 1,000 fans to purchase tickets. Visit whitesox.com slash nurse or call 866-SOX-GAME. So, talked about it long enough. Here it is. My sit down with White Sox reliever and a guy the fan graphs called one of the best pitchers on the planet not four days ago, Tommy Canely. So we're sitting down at White Sox reliever Tommy Canely here, hanging out in the dugout before you guys open a three-game set against the Cleveland Indians. Tommy, I don't mean to be a foot, but you weren't supposed to be here when the season started, and now you get to a point where you're striking out 20 per nine. I don't know if you've looked at the number, but it's really great. How? What's it been like the last two weeks? i got to imagine, has your head settled in one spot? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel great lately, and uh, I, did a, I made a few tweaks towards the end of spring, and uh, it's really helped out, I mean. And then when I got that call before uh, that the second game they had here, I was uh, I was actually really happy because uh, I wanted to show them the you know what I what I fixed down there and stuff. So I mean I'm feeling good. What were you going after to fix? What specifically did they send you out to go take care of? Um, it was basically everybody knows that my fastball command you know is a little spotty sometimes, but. There's a, I made a few uh, adjustments with, uh, like, my legs, I should say, kind of my delivery. And, uh, I mean, it seemed to work. It was more of a, a shortened leg kick, I okay. guess. And uh, I started to uh, use also keeping my head straight towards home plate because I usually have a ten- tendency to fall sure, off. Sure. Yeah, so I worked on those two things, and, I mean, it's starting to work. So as you come over into this organization, I mean, I don't. Are you aware of when you when you came over here the White Sox reputation for pitching prowess and getting guys through to the big leagues, especially what they're able to do with a lot of relievers that have come through? Um, to be honest, no. I, I mean, I didn't really know anything about the organization before I came over. So, yeah. I mean. So far, it's been great. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean, I have no complaints or anything. I got to imagine you get caught up pretty quickly on that because there are a lot of guys in this organization that know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it seems that way so far. So, I mean, I've just been doing everything right, and I mean, it's working out right now. It's a good place to be. I, I wonder then, you know, if you're as, as you go through last season, you know, the last couple of weeks of uh, what would that have been? September. Yeah. Working really well. Things are going mm-hmm. well for you. And you, Robin started putting you in some fairly high leverage spots. Yeah. Is that, you know, where where do you find your comfort when that kind of stuff, when it's on the line like that? Um, I mean, really, I just tune everything out. Yeah. Yeah. My f- main focus is right on the catcher. That's it. That's all I'm looking at, and I don't hear anything outside or whatever. Does it, as you and come I, in from the bullpen, do you, do you start getting that going then, or when does it finally hit? Yeah, does it arrive I mean, that, you know? that run that I come in is really when I start to really lock it in and yeah. get it going. So what for you is, when you're not, if you're not playing baseball, what's your, what's your gig? What is your... <laughs> uh, I really love watching football okay. and uh, playing video games. What are you? What are you playing? What are you on the sticks uh, with? I 
play a lot uh, from Call of Duty, sure. uh, FIFA, Madden, yeah, everything. Have NHL. you seen there is a new Call of Duty coming out in November? Yep. Just as the off season is over, you already know it's, yeah. it's the world. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Pre-ordered and everything? Oh, uh, not yet, but I will. Do you play MLB the Show? No, I'm terrible. I used to. Play. Are you are you mad because you're bad in the game, yes. or are you mad because you're bad at the game? I'm bad at the game. Okay. <laughs> you're okay in the game. Oh, I, I guess I don't know. I've never. <laughs> Why are you? How are you bad at that game? I can't hit in the you game. You do it for? Yeah, I can't. Hit. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, I, I physically cannot hit in that All right. game. All right. So FIFA is your FIFA is your online. I would game, say I would yeah. Okay. And your college football team is. Notre Dame. I mean, I knew that, but I, just, <laughs> yeah. I know other people. Ed Farmer talks about it all the time. Yeah, all he's the time. a big Notre Dame guy. Your locker last year was next to J.B. Shock. Yep. Who and was an Ohio State guy. Yeah, we, we dashed a little. I, were there physical confrontations? <laughs> no. Seriously, were there physical confrontations? <laughs> no. You're aware that uh, Derek Holland is a huge Michigan guy. Oh, I, I'm very aware of this. So does the groundwork get laid for fall now? Oh, or yeah. you just kind of let things go? and? No, there's a little, you know. Sure. A little pushing here and there. Right. At each other. I mean, spring games start, yeah. you know, like next week, two weeks. Uh, actually, tomorrow. Northern Not that eight. anyone's counting. Well, it'll be today when this airs. <laughs> okay. So you're going to be... Okay, so spring game is literally today. Let's say this airs at a, yeah, 3 o'clock, something like that. Will you have watched it? And is that going to be something you DVR? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> and your expectation for the quarterback spot at Notre Dame now that Deshaun Kaiser has left our... I mean, I like Wimbush. Okay. Yeah. Because right. uh, a couple of years ago, I mean, you came in for a couple of those games. That's right, yeah. You look good. I mean... Hopefully, it's, it's the real deal. Did you play football in high school? Yeah, a little bit. Where at? Or uh, at what position? I mean, a lot, to be honest. Uh, linebacker, tight end, safety, quarterback. Do you like defense or offense more? Uh, defense. Because you get to hit people. That's right. <laughs> I kind of figured. So when did, when did baseball take over as your one thing? You know, Or did you not have to specialize until a little bit later? Uh, I mean, it was always, I always knew baseball was my number one sport. Mm. But, I mean... I love football as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then I played basketball a little bit. Did so. you did you start as a uh, – when did you just start pitching? When did you put the position mm. player thing? Oh, as soon as college. Okay. Yeah. They asked me to hit, but I said no. Did they? Yeah. Because you can't hit in the show? You <laughs> no, like, I, just, I just didn't want to do the, the two-way thing. It's just too much. What made you pick hitting over pitching? Or, I'm sorry, pitching over hitting. Um, To be honest, I really don't know. Okay. <laughs> but it was your choice. It was yeah. the choice that you got to make? Yeah. Interesting. Well, it seems you've made the right one. Yeah. 98-99 works out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. One more before we let you go. Do you, and we're trying to ask uh, as many people this as we can, your favorite player growing up? Any sport? No, uh, baseball. Baseball. If we oh, can stick with Barry it. Larkin. Why, were you a Reds fan? Yeah, I was a Reds fan. Okay, so that makes sense. God, he was good. Yeah, he was. All right. Appreciate you sitting down, man. Nice <laughs> yeah, getting no to know you. That is White Sox reliever Tommy Kaling, a guy that the Fangraphs online article called one of the best pitchers in baseball right now, and certainly he's been darn good. Thanks for listening to White Sox Weekly. You can catch the whole thing on the podcast in case you missed any little bit on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. We podcast everything. And if you want to bring your little all-star closer to the game, Fans 13 and under can join the White Sox Kids Club for special Kids Club giveaways, free White Sox tickets, and exclusive events. Head to WhiteSox.com slash Kids Club today to join. Our thanks go out to our producers, Jonathan Bregman and Darius Hopkins. Our thanks also go out to Kat Garcia, to Jim Tomey, to Nick Hostetler, and to Tommy Kainley. 
We'll be back tomorrow for more White Sox baseball. The pregame show starts at 11.35, so tune in for that. First pitch, 12.10 with Ed and DJ. White Sox Week will be back next Saturday prior to the ballgame. I'm Connor McDyke. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Saturday night.